usually really nice to have someone who can give you an overview of all the pros and cons of tech stacks and say, this one probably fits you the best. Greetings and salutations. It's time for Episode 8 of the Development Best Practices Podcast, brought to you by ILM Professional Services. I'm Jason Erdahl, your podcast host, and today we'll be continuing our talk with Chris Vitko, ILM Principal Architect, about replacing your legacy application. If you haven't listened to Episode 7 of our podcast, also on legacy applications, I would encourage you to do so before listening to this one. In this episode, Chris and I will talk through how to pick a technical stack for your replacement application. We then discuss how your current developer team can help drive the changes and pick up great training and become happier in the process. Lastly, we talk about the advantage of having a subject matter expert in the new technology and the advantage of having an outsider's view to help drive those changes. Here's Chris again. So Chris, how do you pick a technical stack when you're replacing a legacy system? And how important is it that it's just an upgraded version of the same thing that you're using for the current legacy system? Sure. So I would, when you talk about upgrading a version of the same thing you have, it, it that one little bothers me a little bit because I'm like, I am, I am always about, you shouldn't just take a system, an application and go, oh, okay, I washed my hands of this, we're done. It'll just, you know, it'll just exist on its own in a vacuum. No one will need to touch it ever again, ever again. Um, especially nowadays. I mean, uh, one security bugs come out all the time Two uh, updates are people iterate to uh, like, I mean, Microsoft is on like a, a quarterly update of their system software right. sometimes. Right. And so like, it's like three months and you got a new, new system with new bug fixes and security, things like that. I'm always about, you should always budget and include in your maintenance budget, being able to upgrade to the latest version because it will always come with security f- features and bug fixes. Right. So you should always try and keep that as much up to up to date as possible. So, like taking the whole thing and going, I gotta go to an updated version. That should be in your maintenance plan already. Okay. Okay. Um, but let's yeah. But let's let's go outside of that. Let's say let's say you're thinking about, uh, for example, Angular going from Angular JS to Angular to the new Angular, which is not an upgrade. It's a complete rewrite. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. Okay. That's that's a that's a falsehood, but let's go that direction. Um, how do you pick the tech stack? Um, I usually group the tech stack around, or I usually recommend it to clients that I group it around. What does the business know at the point in time that you're going to replace the system? You know, do you have a development environment? You do have developers that know a certain tech stack. Will you have to? teach them all new tech stacks because they don't know new tech stacks. Are you going to bring in contractors and that's going to be a part of your, your costs. And so can you, you know, are they going to be able to build up what's, what's best for you and that kind of thing? Um, I usually, I usually have some go-tos 
um, some kind of like straight off the bun. I mean, there, there are different tech stacks out there. They all have their pros and cons. Some are, you can really customize things. Some give you a pattern. Some use the latest and greatest or performance and all that kind of stuff. So it, it really comes down to what are your goals? You know, are your pain points of a legacy system performance? Well, that might blend into what your tech stack would be. Right. And so what are your goals? What are your resources? What are your, what are your um, platforms that you're already have in place? Take that all together and build out, well, here are the pros and cons. You know, I know the pros and cons of these different frameworks. You know, how do you fit those kind of goals and structure into those pros and cons? Right. So right. you can get kind of a pattern out there. It's, it's usually really nice to have someone who can give you an overview of all the pros and cons of tech stacks and say, this one probably fits you the best. Right. Right. Um, so like a consultant that would work fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or an internal consultant, you know, someone who can step aside and look at it from an outsider's point of view. That, that certainly is a, is a logical yeah. option as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we start talking then about people. So what, how, how much, uh, <laughs> this is a tricky one, right? Because of course the same people who are going to be helping choose the legacy application, um, and you know, upgrading, I'm sorry, the same people who maybe built the legacy application and are looking to upgrade that may still be there, right? So how do you, how do you consider the skills of the developers in this choice, so uh, what, where, where do you, how does that play in? How do you, how do you train all of these developers who have been stuck working on the older tech because that's what we had? Um, how, what does that look like? What's the, what's the best practice around the people um, when upgrading your legacy application? Sure, I, um, I usually find it most effective is to. Try and bring someone in, be it a contractor, be it someone from a different team, someone who knows the tech stack you're going for, right? Right. Bring someone in as as a lead in a in a team, or someone who can actually do more of a here's here's the patterns we should use as an architect of a team. You know, if you already have a lead, that kind of thing. Bring them in to a smaller team, okay. and it's it's usually. A small, I think I've worked with like anywhere from like three to six people on a team. Bring them into a team and start to build features with that kind of overarching person saying, here's what, how we should do these things. Here's the low level thing, not here's how to program everything, every little thing, but here's how we should organize this stuff. Okay. Um, it's a great environment. Um, I highly recommend code reviews. Everyone does code reviews, even though they don't like it, do them. Because <laughs> that's how they learn what everyone's doing. Um, and so get this structure in place for a team. Build out some features. Build, you know, take a few months, right? Right. Um, eventually, I usually go with, I go with a team strategy of put together a team, start, start them building. And if you still have some, you know, you want to bring on additional developers, fine. A couple months from then, bring them into the team too. So the team kind of grows to its kind of higher capacity, or higher limit. And right. then say, okay, for a couple months, two, three months, you're developing, you're doing code reviews, you're learning what's going on with the other team and what the process they've implemented and the patterns they've discovered. Okay, now it's time to maybe split those teams. 
And then you can go from there to add more to both of those teams and continue to split teams if you really need to ramp up and that kind of thing. So I usually find it very effective if you don't know the tech and you need to kind of get people, you know, bootstrap people up, is to bring someone on who knows it and then start to actually work with it. Yeah. And here are the pros and cons. And then you can kind of scale horizontally as you go and then take the time there. Yeah. Yeah. It is how ha- it is helpful to have that subject matter expert, um, someone who's been in the trenches. I know you and I have used the analogy of a Sherpa before where, Hey, all these developers are, are mountain climbers, right? You don't get to Everest unless you're pretty skilled at what you're doing. So why hire a Sherpa? Well, the Sherpa knows the territory and the Sherpa carries the heaviest pack. That's the idea of bringing in a consultant or a subject matter expert, hiring someone that's basically knows the terrain um, and they can guide you, um, which, which doesn't say anything negative about your existing developers. I mean, they've done a champion job um, keeping the existing application going. They want to learn the new technology. Hey, heck, one of the reasons why you may be upgrading your legacy system is an employee retention thing. You don't want your developers to leave to leave so they can go work on cooler new tech. Um, so yeah, so I get that. Well, and, and going even further is you could actually send some of those developers off and say, okay, for six months, you're going to just learn this new tech. Here's a whole bunch of learning opportunities and things like that. Just get up to speed. Your job is now to be the subject matter expert. Oh, that's at the a good end. point. That is a good point. So that is a, definitely an investment that can be made. And there are lots of good training opportunities out there. I will I will say that 100%. There's no shortage. So and good training opportunities to um, bring in for a team. Um, it's almost a train the trainer moment where that person as a subject matter expert not only learns it well enough that they can do it, but they can train others. That's That's useful when picking um, the person, right? So as to make sure that they have that human interface that they can insert in and communicate back, um, to the, to the rest of the team. So yeah, that's definitely key. that's key. So, um, speaking of past experience, I, I, I watch what you do and, and other architects who work for uh, us. I, I noticed that you often advocate bringing in JavaScript front ends, when replacing legacy systems. Um, um, why is that? Sure. Um, basically, it, it comes down to, and it's it's getting less of JavaScript frameworks now, but also different technologies that are coming out for browsers. Sure, but sure. I usually, so a, a, good, a good tactic of any kind of, system or that is trying to separate all your dependencies apart so that when you maintain something you don't have to maintain that and at all dependencies and make sure they all run together you know try and make you know try and separate things i mean object-oriented programming is built around this is trying to separate all your different classes all your code apart so they don't rely too heavily on each other um i take that same basis for uh, a front end versus a server server side uh uh, like API or application. When you separate the front end from your server side code, you now have no dependency. That server side code can actually change as it needs to, which is in a kind of different fashion than everything. I mean, and for example, um, you may have a front end for your website that just does, you know, it basically just um, 
goes off and you can send a send a report in, send a form in to and it just takes that report, you send it to an API, the API saves the report in, in the SQL and the business gets it out later on. Well, uh, if that API was to say business says, well, I don't like these straight up raw reports. Why don't you build me a mobile app that just gives me the report in a nice presentation fashion just for my phone? That same API will probably be used for that app, mobile app, but the actual JavaScript front end or the front end on the web doesn't need to know about it at all. Right, And so you don't have to update the front end on the browser or choose to ignore certain things. It is completely separate from that, that business layer, essentially. Things will happen on a business layer that certain, certain front ends don't need to know about. Right. Um, on top of that, it also allows you to maintain systems independently. If you have a team that's just front end, they can, they can kind of update and upgrade that system accordingly and not have to upgrade all the other systems behind it. If you have a middle tier system that's separated from the other back end or front end systems, you can upgrade that thing and it doesn't have to touch all the other aspects of that. Right. To a to a degree. Right. Um but it, it allows you to separate responsibilities, which ultimately allows you to maintain things well, um, not take too much time and effort in maintaining other things that you weren't expecting to maintain. Got it. Got it. I like it. Well, I, uh, it certainly sounds like a, a better way to solve the legacy application issue on a go forward basis. This idea of having things broken out um, and being able to update them independently um, should solve the issue in advance because then you can be more responsive to changes um, and you can update just one small piece um, as opposed to the whole application, keeping it separated. So that sounds cool. So smart, smart. Um, so tell me, is there anything that we haven't covered about legacy applications that you'd like to mention? I can't think of anything. I was just... Mm -hmm. As you, as you, I mean, just be conscious that legacy applications have, I mean, I think a lot of people get too, too buried in legacy applications being, oh, okay, it's old. Let's just replace it with something new and shiny. And I'm, I'm always careful about that legacy application does something important. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise it wouldn't be, won't be replaced. It does something important. You know, try and recognize the stuff that doesn't does well and doesn't do well, and try and incorporate the stuff, try and make it better as you actually replace it. Yeah. Um, and to me, legacy application doesn't necessarily mean it has to be replaced because someone put legacy on the front of application. Right. You know, that could exist forever in its own situation because it's not, it's rarely maintained or yep. doesn't need to be maintained. It's a script or something like that somewhere else. And I'm like, not all of them have to be replaced. And when you do replace them, make sure you get this, try and handle the pain points of replacing it as well. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And what it made me think of was um, another thing I've noticed when you replace a legacy application, if you decide to do one, like I, I hear you where you're saying you don't always have to replace them. But when you do, 
this is actually a decent time to retire some unused features and hard to maintain features. You don't have to just lift and shift, right? And replace every single thing that your old application did. This is a good time to retire that, oh, uh, you know, we're launching a new application. We actually can no longer take faxes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so there's, there's yeah. there is there is a nice moment there where you get an excuse to eliminate some features that are you know either hard to maintain or rarely used. Um, so, but good stuff. Good stuff. We're not gonna we're not gonna send tech messages out to beepers everywhere. We no. are not. This is a good <laughs> point. Only the truly cool companies do that. Still, anyway. <laughs> Chris, once again, great conversation. I love talking to you about this stuff. So, um, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Jason. It was great to have Chris back on the podcast. If you haven't listened to his podcast episodes on Tailwind CSS, I highly recommend it. The Development Best Practices podcast is brought to you by ILM Professional Services. Chris talked about how having that outsider's view can help in replacing your legacy application. I'll admit, this is a lot of what we do at ILM. Helping companies of various sizes in various industries decide if they should replace their legacy application, advising on approaches and technologies, then being that Sherpa who knows the best pathway to implement that new tech. We'd love to help you as well please visit ilmservice.com today to get started. Oh, and we're just getting started with the podcast. Eight episodes in the can. That's pretty cool. Uh, But still, if you have any feedback on this episode, want to suggest a topic, or need anything else, please email us at podcast at ilmservice.com. Take care.